Hi and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project Management Podcast. This is Nigel Creaser, your host, and this is the episode for the 5th of July, 2020. Um, welcome. This week we've got uh, the second part of the interview with Eddie O'Bang, Professor Eddie O'Bang at the Human Energy Drink. Um, hopefully you've listened to the first one and enjoyed it. If not, pop back, have a listen, um, and you'll get the whole story of how Eddie got into this profession and all of the hit of energy drink from him. Uh, this week I've been fairly busy at work, it's been a bit manic as usual. I've also managed to pick up a couple of more um, podcast interview um, conversations with people. So in a couple of weeks I've got um, a, a really interesting one about idea, de- idea DJing um, for the Sunday Brunch uh, podcast. Uh, that's going to be, I think, on the 16th. Um, as yet I don't have an interview podcast for the end of the month uh, that I'm going to put out uh, so I'm uh, casting around this next week or so see if I can find someone to fill those slots but I've got lots of people um, saying they will come on the show which is really good and uh, uh, hopefully get uh, some of those new voices on Otherwise, I think that's probably it. Nothing much. It's quite a quiet week, really. A bit of exercise, which is good. And I'll uh, get on with the interview and chat to you at the end. Cheers. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, then please get in touch at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. Sort of spinning your wheels, basically. Yeah, because that's your learning, constant learning. The next, the next question I've got is is similar, um, but uh, on the outcome of it. But it's kind of what what you consider in your career uh, as your biggest screw up, and and what you learnt from that. The biggest, good God, I've got hundreds of the bloody things. Um, <laughs> which ones? Which one is is just comes straight to mind? Because generally that will be the one that. Uh, uh, oh, no, 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 we'll no, have learned from. Well, I, I tend to, because I'm doing this learning thing all the time, I don't have any coming to mind. I don't sort of cringe about them. Mm. Um, but but I've done everything. I mean, the early days when I was at Ashridge and I didn't know how to sell, uh, the first call I got from a client, they talked, I talked over them, uh, and then they hung up and went away. And when I did the planned work, I went, oh, yeah, maybe I should have listened to them. Um, uh, uh, so there's there's customer stuff. There's when 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 I started with Cube, um, which is my my virtual world where I do my teaching. Uh, the idea was to create. So the idea was I'd spent ten years building all the content, not just around project management, but other topics. And so my colleague Andy Burnett said, "Can you put Eddie in the box?" And I said, "How would we do that?" So we messed around with ideas on how to put Eddie in the box, which of course cost me lots of money because we tried. Uh, I don't know, Lotus Learning Sphere. We tried all sorts of different, you know, things. Adobe, the early Adobe, which looks like Zoom. We did that mm. as well. The idea being to package me into a box with the content and, and sell it off. So all of those failed, every single one of them. 
painful and expensive. Um, and then um, we finally figured out that virtual reality could help because people didn't know how to behave in virtual reality, so you could accelerate learning. And so we called it the cube, the C-U-B-E, and we started working on that. That was a mistake because, of course, when you write the cube, nobody can find it. We couldn't get the website. I mean, just stupidity around that. Change it to Q-U-B-E. We thought it was important, for example, how the avatars look. So we spent money, wasted time making avatars look like people, run the first course. Everyone wanted their avatars to be customized. All the men wanted to be women, weird stuff. Um, <laughs> uh, and, 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 and basically it was not appropriate for a learning event. Total disaster, horrible. Um, so that was it. That was that was one. Um, so we spent the money on the wrong thing. In the project space, we tried to run a, a conference called Conference Zero on Zoom, on Cube. Um, and what happened with the, the Conference Zero thing was um, we didn't realize that most people would have really rubbish Internet. Um, and when we did the tests, of course, we were using sensible Internet. And so people got in and they couldn't do anything because they had rubbish internet so that was a disaster as well so i mean the, yeah I've, I've managed loads and loads of those things before um okay. so yeah it's not hard to come up with errors but if, <laughs> you, if you're doing new stuff honestly nine out of ten at least is going to fail yeah um, i think you're right and i think the thing is if you're not doing new stuff you're not learning yeah if you're not, if you're not yeah. slightly experimenting with with your approach then yeah but I'm also not dumb. I, I do try and I do try and read lots and learn from other people because what the trend is these days is for everyone to do their own thing as if no one has ever done anything. Um, if you stand on the shoulders of giants, we all move forward. Yeah. Um, if I have a big complaint at the moment, it's that everyone on the internet is just reiterating stuff which has been known and taught and used for the past 50 years as if it's brand new in their blogs. Yeah. Uh, I, and some of it's gibberish as well because they're making stuff up. But but you stand on the shoulders, you do your homework, you do your research, you see what else has been written in that topic. Then the mistakes you make are genuinely new. Yeah. And that's worth doing. But making mistakes for anything else is just dumb. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So and Again, it's a message. I don't know that you saw my TED talk or not, but I'm ex I explained the difference between smart and dumb failure. I've not seen that one. I saw that. Yeah, I need and, to watch that. Yeah, don't worry. And and smart failures when you're doing something new and you screw up, and dumb failures when you're doing something people know how to do and screw up. And um, again, I mean, this is again working just you know early stages when I was explaining about you know because I've taught so many people stuff over the years and explaining about failure and learning and stuff like that. And again, alongside your comment about failing early, again from working with IDEO and uh, Tim Brown and people like that, this concept of smart failure, people like Colin Burns, they all took it on board, shared it with their clients. The clients didn't understand the difference between smart and dumb failure. So they interpreted it as just just do stuff and failure is okay. Uh, which it's Chinese whispers. Yeah. <laughs> this is a problem. But again, um, it's not a bad thing. But honestly, in a world with so little resource, um, yes, we will fail when we're doing new things. But the objective is not to fail. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's that balance, isn't it? You've you've got to be willing, and I, I always teach it to my my kids. You've got to be willing to fail. Otherwise, you won't try something new. Yes. But again, but but you must order... intend to fail. <laughs> no, no, exactly. You kind of need to look at that and go right. Well, you go in forearmed as best you can. 
yeah. and it's that that whole concept we've got um i do judo my girls do judo and that whole concept of you getting back up every time it's, it's how i see that is that you still got to learn those techniques not to be thrown on the floor yes and and if you go in there and into a situation not knowing how, or not watching the other person and trying to work out what's happening each time they throw, work out what they're doing trying to understand it and and it is that that educated dumb as you say that that educated uh, dumb failure and and or dumb failure you've got to you've got to do yeah you've got to do it with your eyes open haven't you rather yes, than just randomly yes. doing stuff exactly and if you're yeah. going to go to judo and you're going to go into a, a bout with somebody it's worth saying to the other people who fought with them what are they like yeah oh i always throw to the left sorted yeah you know yeah. rather than just turn up get thrown to the left and go i failed there yeah. it's good sorry no, or no, 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 no. yeah or you you stand there and you watch them in watch them in their previous fights and look and go oh yeah exactly. i can see that they're always doing that and that's the same thing isn't it it's always grabbing yeah. that whatever you can that knowledge you can get yeah so I, I mean at the moment i'm watching everyone trying to adapt to zoom and and uh and trying to work uh on teams and stuff like that and i find it quite intriguing mm. um because they're all copying each other. Um, yeah. But they're not copying people who learned how to do that before COVID. Which yeah. is... <laughs> yeah. I know so, what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, everything's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a lot of... Um, it, although, I, I, it's funny, actually. And it's completely kind of side topic, if you like. And I don't know if you've seen it. And I, I've watched the TV shows that have been using Zooms and Skypes and things like that. Yes, yeah, and and yeah. there's certain presenters that have managed to do it mm-hmm. really well, I think, and others are really, really stilted. Yes. Who are, who normally, when they've got an individual next to them, they're amazing. So yes. I watched Graham Norton and, and I, I watched him and the, I find it quite painful because he yeah. didn't have that. Can't do it. Even, President, have it. even President Obama can't do, uh, can't do it. But then I was watching Ramesh Ranganathan um, with the um, the, Rang- the Ranganathan show that he does on BBC mm-hmm. Two, where he has, I think he's got about 40 people. Um, or No, it's not that many, but 20 maybe mm-hmm. up there, all on Zoom. He's jumping then, around with them, yeah. He's working around. But but I, I, think, I think partly it's because the show kind of lends itself to that anyway, because he had more sat there. But it, that one, it doesn't, it feels as good to me anyway watching that show the way they're doing it as it would do normally mm-hmm. when they're actually uh, in the studio there and yeah. that, and i think there's it's it's funny how you'd say these different tools how you different different characters totally different... different skills it's like the project yeah. type stuff you know what are you trying to do where are you trying to get to yeah so yeah so i and i mean i've spent what almost yeah about 20 years thinking about ways of doing Eddie in the box. So I've experimented with loads of things. So I find it quite difficult, for example, to do straight to the camera bits. It's just not me. If I'm moving around, fine. Um, I'm also an introvert. So I know how half the population feel on Zoom, Mm. which is they hate it with a passion. Mm -hmm. They hate Teams when they put the webcams on. They even hate Skype when they put the webcams on. Um, and they have to go and recover afterwards if they're anything like me. Yeah. Basically, webcams are—they are, do all the wrong things for for for, well, for me as an introvert. Um, and I suspect—I'd wonder whether Graham Norton is an introvert and he sees himself on the screen, and yeah. that's why he's freezing. It may it's be possible. Yeah. Lots and lots of entertainers are introverts. I never thought of it like that. It's funny actually because I've I've tended um, to default to since this is, is leave myself on there 
and it does quite often let people pop on. I don't mind um, being on there. I don't feel any worry about it. People looking at me, whatever. Um, and what? And you saying you're an introvert, having spoken to you and seen some of the things you do, it kind of shocks me. But I do get that that you just because someone is an introvert doesn't mean they are very good at presenting or whatever, is it? So it's kind of it's that and doesn't have the energy. It is very different. Um, a different understanding of introversion isn't it um a lot of assumptions yeah. people make about it and um i think the what i've found is that just for me to get um even if even if if no one else wants to put their camera on i feel that it allows me to have that connection with them yeah um and i can understand where some people really don't want to yeah, yeah, but they will yeah. if their bosses does it. This is yeah. this, this is one of the reasons productivity is so rubbish when people are working the way. Apart from the fact that all they can do is talk. So first mm. of all, lots of bosses just want to see them so they know they're working. <laughs> but that's I, put that aside. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wrote a comment on LinkedIn when I saw from Colin Ellis who put something about some uh, monitoring software that that companies are using to monitor people, and it's uh, the whole thing. <laughs> The whole thing about remote, I, I understand some of it because some of that tooling is really good to assess people's mental condition and they can be really powerful in doing that sort of aggregated data and changing the language people are using in some of the things they do in an email or IM or whatever. But monitoring when people are at the desk, not at the desk, blah, blah, I think is counterproductive because the whole point of remote working has got to be trust. If you've got the trust, Right, that's great. Then if you've got people who are not behaving in the way that they should do, not producing the outcome, well, you deal with that through performance management. You deal with that by talking to the people, which is what you should be doing as a manager anyway. What so, you should be doing is dealing with poor performance, not dealing with attendance. So the question, why is it in the past people didn't do the trust piece? Because they hadn't experimented it with it and they hadn't experienced it. <laughs> Yeah, but, but companies have been making money for a long time. Can I let you in on the secret? Go on. Okay. So what people don't realize is that the world looks the same, but it's changed. It changed about 20, 30 years ago. You see, if overall you can learn fast and the world is changing, when you set up an organization, a business, anything, an enterprise, the founder starts it. And because they can learn fast and the world is changing, they know the market, the product, everything. Then they recruit somebody to work for them and they can tell that person exactly what to do because the world hasn't changed. And even if there are small changes, the founder can keep up with the amount of change. Then that person can tell the next person what to do. So you can easily build up a, a, a structure of knowledge at the top and really controls and, and connections going down a typical hierarchy, which is why hierarchies, especially command and control hierarchies are so brilliant in the old days for businesses. You mm -hmm. can make a huge business because you can learn fast the world is changing. The boss can tell the subordinate what to do. The subordinate can do it or tell their subordinate what to do. And everything is nice and wonderful and peachy. But then the world, of course, has accelerated, got more complex, got more interactive, got more uncertain, et cetera, et cetera. There's technology, things move at the speed of light. So the pace of change has hotted up to the point where it's faster than your ability to learn, which is why most people's annual budget plans don't come to fruition because the world's changing faster than they can see into the future. So in the old world, you didn't need to trust people because you knew what they were doing. In the old world, you almost didn't need to performance manage them because you'd done the job before, so you knew what good looked like. 
But as the world accelerates, new stuff comes in. The boss doesn't always know all the answers. Learning starts to fragment into different parts of the organization. The leadership sort of moves from all being at the top to being a bit at the front. But you keep your hierarchical structure and many or many of your rituals about your meetings once a month because that was fast enough and 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 and. In fact, even having meetings is a bit crazy. You, we're going to do what? We're going to get together to talk about it. Okay, do we have phones? Yes. So why are we getting together? To, anyway, put that in another box. Um, but traditionally, meetings came from when you were at war and you sent somebody to parley. That's where the idea came from. So it was an unusual thing to resolve a particular issue. <laughs> As I said, when I was at Shell, we had a meeting to talk about what was happening. In the old days, people didn't have meetings, okay? Yeah. It was a rare thing to deal with un a bit of uncertainty. World we're in now is very, very fast changing. It's changing faster than we can learn. Net result is, it's not, the rules have shifted. It's like I was explaining about the project types. The reason that we have so few painting by numbers projects, think about your own projects, your most important project, do you know what you're doing and how you're going to do it? No, of course not. You have a foggy one, you have a movie, you have a quest, very few paint by numbers. It's quite simply because the pace of change is now faster than your ability to learn. When the pace of change was slow, all the projects, most of them, were paint by numbers, beginning, middle and end. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. So, so there's a lot of talk and you'll see loads and loads of books about the new way of working, the new leader, the leader with the shadow, etc. And it's all out of context because the only reason you need to do that now is because the environment has changed. And unless you say to them, look, what you were doing was correct for that situation. You were running a project. It was a clear beginning, middle and end. You ran it off your, I don't know, your prints to off your spreadsheet fully to you. The stakeholders knew what they were going to get because they'd done it before. What's clear, how's clear, fantastic. You didn't have to talk to them about anything. Now the world's moved on. You're running a foggy project. The stakeholders can't describe it. You don't know what's this. You don't know how your team have never worked together before. Your old methods no longer apply here. Thing is, the world hasn't changed completely. So what people will do is they'll be an empowering manager when they should actually be more structured because that's what they read in the book. The books do not put context around them. Yeah, and I think that I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one thing I've I, from that leadership style thing I, that I've fallen into many years ago and I, and I always share is that the disk um, profiling tooling where they have the the four different oh yes gen generic behavior types and I think it's um, what you're saying there is 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 that you have a behavior is what you need to, you need behaviors to deliver your projects yes yeah? and those behaviors depending on each of those four points Correct. within your how and what mm -hmm. Depending on what either, if it's the whole project, well, your behavior for the whole project needs to be in one of those quadrants. Correct. But it may be that as part of your uh, your project, you're going through the fog to make a movie. Yay! Yeah? You got it and, in one. And, yeah, yes. And, and, but you need different behaviors. Or actually, if, well you're, done, running a, yeah. if you're running a PMO, you may need a different project manager for Boy. different phases because Yay. the natural skills you need there. So the thing is, the projects move depending on the rate at which you learn versus the way which the environment is changing. So when when you can understand everything and the environment is not changing, it will be paint by numbers. Then you hit something where you don't get it, and you're absolutely spot on. It's either a project, different project manager, or as a PMO, 
this is where you coach the guy who's really good at paint by numbers to actually be a bit more like a, somebody leading a quest, a bit of a pioneer. You yeah. coach them to do that. So it's that understanding. And because people are in such a rush to to have discovered the latest next, next thing, you just get deluged with this is what we should be doing. This is the latest idea and so on, but without the context. So they'll give you a case story where it worked, but they won't do the case stories where it didn't work. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing that, yeah, that, that whole thing. scientific of, approach again. Yeah, you, so, yeah. You, get, you get the likes of the, right, let's I think um, the five things that billionaires do first thing in the morning when they get up at five o'clock. And it's like, yeah, if if all it was was those five things where you eat, drink your kale juice, you go for a jog and you do that and everyone was Elon Musk. Well, no, that doesn't work, does it? Those no. five things aren't the defining element of it. They'll be Yeah, they correlate. Yeah. And, and that is, is the thing. Is that some of them cause, might influence. Yeah. Some of them might be a, a cause, but some of them might be a. <laughs> a symptom of the fact they've got the time to be able to choose what they want to do, but you know, yeah, for points. So, I but, mean, two, two, two quick, oh, you go. No, 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 you go. I was going to say, two quick, I, I, on LinkedIn, I was threatening to do a, a workshop on how to do research when the world changes faster than you can learn because I was on a radio program and one of the other people on the panel was a, a researcher from a business school who was busy bubbling on boringly about the research and. I wanted to say to them, your research will never in this fast-changing world ever be relevant. It'll be interesting, but if anyone follows your research, they're doomed because the pace of change is so fast. It's taking you nine months to get there. By the time you've got to your conclusions, you're advising them to do something for an environment which no longer exists. So the way I've done my research, as I explained, was based on Ellie Goldratt's stuff. So the best way to understand it is, it, as you said, the scientific method. So people like incidents, how often things happen. So you see lots of, book, of things where they say, 70% of CEOs say that we should use COVID as blah, blah, blah. And then you think that's the action. It's not. It's just incidents. It's just what happens. Then the other one they do a lot of is, is correlation. You know, people who did this got that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So when they... Um, when the birds sing, the daffodils come out. So it's the birds making the daffodils sing, uh, come out. No, it's because yeah. the suns come out. Anything with a common cause always correlates. So it's meaningless, meaningless, meaningless. So what you want is causation. Why did this happen? But when you do the causation research, you have to do what's called dead men don't talk. Nicholas Nassim Taleb talks about this a lot in his books. So what people say is, um, I don't know, uh, our remote working is working well because we gave everyone a big computer on their desk. Okay. Great. So that could be the causality. But what you have to do is you have to look for people who have a big computer on their desk who are not working well and people who are working well who don't have a remote computer on their desk. And if you can find those, then you have to question the causality map you're building. And that's really what's crucial if we're going to progress in terms of our understanding of project management rather then just get louder, accumulating different versions of ways of saying the same thing. Fast, good, cheap, time, cost, quality, people, planet, whatever it is, profit, whatever. We're saying the same thing, but just voluminous as opposed to progressive. So one of the things I did was, having understood this, I went, if I can find one of those causes, then what I need to do is be able to teach that so people can do something about it fast. So remember earlier I told you about that action replay two yeah. by two? That's what I call a performance enhancement tool. 
So every time I found a problem and I got to the causality, I would try and invent a tool which people could use to resolve it. So that you wouldn't be reliant entirely just on behaviors, but you could be reliant on behaviors guided by a tool. So okay. what you could say to the PMO is, you could say to the PMO, you could say, I don't know, here's my tool, it's called square peg. And it basically tells us whether the project leader um, will fit in the project. So this is the characteristic of a paint by numbers project. These are the sort of things which you'd expect to hear the project leader saying, doing, wearing. If you can tick them, you're probably okay. If you think it's a fog, this is the characteristic. So I, I've built tools like that, mm. which I can teach and apply in 50 minute cycles so that they don't have to do all the heavy lifting and thinking. I'm trying to provide them with how to make it work rather than what to do. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Because yeah, that's yeah, what they yeah. usually struggle with. Yeah, I think it's, 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 yeah, we've got, we've got to think about um, appropriate behaviours. Yeah, when, exactly. When conducting projects, and and it even comes on to that, the 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 agile waterfall conversations yes. that are out there. That it's the yeah, same thing. Yeah. Agile works really well if the thing is foggy. Uh, yeah. It can work pretty well if it's a movie. Hmm. Um, it doesn't give you enough options if it's a quest, and it's a disaster if it's made by numbers. Yeah, because uh, waterfall great with paint by numbers. Rubbish on all the others. Yeah, yeah. Rapid parallel application development, parallel prototyping, the sort of thing design thinkers do. Great for quests. Rubbish for paying for numbers. Yeah. And 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 the list goes. It's very. Once you get the framework, you just go. Oh. Yeah. And and again, and again, you do the same thing. You go parts of it maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe. It's not one size fits all. It's yeah. the right size fits yeah. the right. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the analogy, and again, I've probably said it on here many times. Is the hammer and the screwdriver? You can put a screw in with a hammer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can put a you you can put a, a nail in with a screwdriver. They're not necessarily the best tools, and it's quite painful at times using them for those other things. And it I won't be a pretty. I used to have a boss who used to say, if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Right? Absolutely <laughs> right. Absolutely right. Absolutely. <laughs> so just thinking again about your project and, and, and maybe maybe spin this out to, to all of the other things you've been involved with. What would you say from you as a personal, from a personal point of view, the thing that you've been involved with or the thing that you've done or delivered or, or helped with that has made you feel the most proud? So two things, I think. Um, the first is um, the the tools I've built, because I've got a library of about 300 of them. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll give you one of them, which you may have tripped across, I don't know or not. It's called Hopes and Fears. But what happens is when you start bringing, when you bring people together, it's important to align them. If you don't align them and you don't get the elephant in the room out, nothing happens. So I created one of these uh, pets, which basically as they come in, you frame the situation. We're here to talk about this interview, blah, blah, blah. So 
Nigel, what's your biggest hope? Can you tell us what, what that is? And can you tell us your biggest fear? Maybe there's more than one. And everyone captures their hopes and fears. So having framed it, we collect people's hopes and we collect people's fears. Then the third step is you take all the fears which people have and you resolve them or address them or tell them how you'll deal with them before you start the work and before you move forward. So that process is called hopes and fears. And that, that tool... Ooh. I hear people doing it. I see them doing it. I went into a client once. It was a um, a big uh, confectionery manufacturer. I'd worked with them for ages. I went to the meeting. I didn't know anyone in the meeting. They got up and said, right, before we get move forward, let's get aligned. What do people want from this? What do they want to avoid? Let's make sure we get this in place. And I said to them, oh, I'm delighted you're using hopes and fears, one of my tools. And they went, no, 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 this is our corporate tool. <laughs> So that sort of thing happens to me a lot um, yeah. because I've spent so much time building these tools. I mean, they're the basis of the Eddie in the box thing. Um, yeah. And I get people talking about, you know, fixing things, fix it now, which is my risk method. You know, um, they'll talk about um, smart and dumb failure. What does that mean? They'll talk about, you know, um, uh, making things fit, the project types. So all these things have gone quite deeply into lots of organizations um, and people wouldn't pull them out. But where I use them, I use them quite explicitly. Um, so that's probably the f biggest thing. Uh, it took about seven years. Uh, lots of companies paid for it because I experimented on them, notably uh, Boots the Chemist. <laughs> right. I did loads of project work and I built loads of models uh, with them over the period of time. Um, and then the next thing would be um, actually being able to teach high-quality senior management project delivery virtually um nice. that honestly is my big achievement i having discovered this idea of virtual reality i then took the tools and i had to build a culture to do the teaching and the support of the project so i had to learn everything because no one's done it before Nobody's ever built anything in VR for business. They've never taught courses. They did, played around Second Life. They didn't know what to do. It all died. Mm. And so over that 10-year period of building Cube, uh, QB.cc, that has probably been um, the big one for me. Um, because, we, I mean, I'm running a conference in a week's time for um, a retailer, 100-odd people. They'll turn up. They'll be there as avatars. I'll teach them all sorts of stuff. They'll break out. Because they're avatars, they can walk. They've all got agency. So I'll say, go to the whiteboard. These are the groups. And they'll literally walk to different places and do what they would do in real life. But they're not in real life. But what it means is when they go back to work, I can continue to coach them. I can continue to bring them together. I can continue to point out what tools they need and where the gaps are and stuff like that. And that, for me, is the, the probably the biggest impact. Um, from the work we've done in the health service, we deliver projects between two and seven times faster than you would do face-to-face. -face. We had one um, with uh, one project with uh, surgeons where they'd spent, I, I, I think it was 250 hours getting nowhere. And then we brought them on Cube. And because no one knows how to behave in virtual reality, we said to them, on Cube, everyone listens because we write first and talk second. And on Cube, this is the pet we use for describing what our biggest hopes would be. And on Cube, this is how we describe. So we just got bullied them into doing stuff. And they don't argue because they don't know how to behave. Uh, three hours later, they had a plan. They had it signed off. They were away. You know, So 
when you've done stuff like that, I remember with um, client Walters Kluwer, they had a big HR challenge. It was going to take them about a month, six weeks to reorganize and restructure, uh, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, a quarter of the time later, they had everything rolled around around the world, ka-ching. Um, and the list just goes on and on and on. So probably that's me being able to break the boundaries of what's possible in projects by using technology is what I'm probably proudest of. Brilliant. That sounds uh, absolutely fascinating, that Cube stuff. I did when I was re looking on your, uh, the, the, anything with the VR, it kind of re reminds me of the Ready Player One book. But Yes, it is a bit like that. So yeah. the thing about Cube is it's like a pineapple. Right. You can't guess how a pineapple tastes by looking at it. No. no. It's just this horrible spiky spiny thing. <laughs> and the, yeah. comment, the comment we get most often is why don't you have posh avatars like everyone else in VR my son plays FIFA football and they have better graphics because the grass looks real so yeah. that's the most common question we get and what they don't realize is you don't need to get real grass because you're running a project you're not kicking footballs we're working yeah. with other people and the second is by having simple avatars as we discovered it's yeah. totally inclusive yes there's no male female senior manager junior manager introverts extroverts the amount of openness you could get is just phenomenal um mm -hmm. we 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 can use webcams but what people discover after a while is they don't want to because yeah. when you put on webcams everyone just stares at the faces when they're yeah. off, we all stare at the work. So while they're on, we just talk. When they're off, we deliver. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes sense. Simple idea. So yeah, so it's probably that's the thing I'm sort of, I think I think is the the biggest uh, game changer which I've come up with. I came up with the pets, and that was a bit of a game changer to be able to. My favorite game changer of all, there are two of them. One of them is called Sticky Steps, which is when I discovered Foggy Projects, somebody said to me, well, if it's don't know what and don't know how, how the hell do you plan it? And I went, good point. So I did one of these causality bubble diagram things in order to understand what was underlying it. And I worked out what it was. And I invented this thing called Sticky Steps, which is basically a sentence which makes you plan from your guess of the end to what you need to be doing now. Uh, and it breaks everything to smaller steps and you can cost it, you can work out who's doing what and so on and duration. And the other one is something called a gap leap, which is how to build a business case in less than seven minutes for any project. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you've ever built a business case and it's taking you months of pain and sweat and so on, you could do it in seven minutes. Um, and it's a very, very straightforward thing. The most important thing in a business case is accuracy, it's, in, it's engagement and involvement. It isn't um, absolute, it's, it's um, uh, direction of travel. And so Gapley basically helps people work out what the gap is, difference between where they are and where they, where they would like to be, and the financial impact of not acting or acting, and the scope of the project they need to put in place to plug the gap. And it can be done in about seven minutes with about 10, 15 people on cube without breaking into a sweat. Um, so yeah. that's the sort of thing. I, I don't know whether that's what you were looking for or not. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's, that's it. interesting. Um, 
sort of tools that you've got there that in different ways of it. and again it's a different way of looking at things isn't it yeah so so i'm coming to my last few questions here now and one is obviously and, and this might be an obvious obvious answer but i'm going to ask it anyway what what made you start um writing and, and your ted talks and and all those sort of things what, what made you get into doing that why especially since you said you're boredom. an introvert and intro oh right go on <laughs> boredom look until you write the book you have to do all the teaching yeah <laughs> so um so i had all this project management stuff and i was teaching the course at ashridge uh with a couple of other people and i thought I want other people to teach this. I don't want to spend my whole life teaching this thing. You know, it's like a one-hit wonder where you, you've got the song and you have to go out on tour every day, every <laughs> month, living in hotel rooms and playing the same song. So, yeah, boredom mostly. Um, it's why you write books, so that other people can, can teach as well. <laughs> Not the right answer. It's in order to share my learning with the rest of the world and enable the <laughs> <laughs> You wanted honest answers. Yeah. I want honest answers. Honesty is always the great. Did I answer both your question? I'm sure there were two halves. You do, it was the writing and, and you're talking and speaking, and I'm guessing that doing talk, TED talks is similar I mean, sort of. interview as well. You yeah. Know, as I've told you, you can play. People say to me, "So what was it like? A go and listen to, go and listen to Nigel's interview." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely, and I think that's the thing is it's one of those things where, um, it. It's it's hard. It, I suppose that even if you haven't got, if it is just out of boredom rather than altruism, um, it is a, a, an easier way to get a message out there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the books also. Um, so the project stuff, uh, and I dare, dare I dare not say this too loud because of your audience is probably all project management stuff. But the project stuff is a small subset of what I work on. Mm-hmm. So once I discovered this concept of you can le- the world's changing faster than you can learn, or you can the- you can learn faster than the world is changing, which is why I call the old world versus the new world, or what I call before midnight and after midnight. There's a joke with it, which isn't very funny, but <laughs> if you Google it, you'll find the joke. Okay. Okay. But once I discovered that, I realized that not only were projects broken, you've gone from just paying by numbers to these plethora, but I realized that leadership was broken. Right. Then I realized that innovation was broken. Then I realized organization structure was broken. Then I realized that money making was broken. Then I realized that the way in which you actually run teams was broken. Because once you move across, the formula, of course, no longer works. I said to you about organizations had hierarchies because they worked. Well, they don't work when the world's changing too fast. And there's a reason for that. So you also realize why processes don't work, why they have to be modular these days. They never used to have to be modular. Uh, that's broken as well. Uh, and the list goes on. So what I set out to do was basically create what I call the New World Series, which is to take the big themes which people do, which are delivered tomorrow, which is where the project stuff lives, which is about change and PMOs, accept and transformation is in Deliver Tomorrow. Deliver Today, which is all the stuff about service, customer centricity processes and so on, which are all broken. Invent Tomorrow, which is about innovation, strategy, um, building markets, and so on, all of which no longer work the same way, especially with all the digitization that will get even more weird with AI and stuff like that. Ensuring Results, which is about, your, you mentioned about profit, what does it mean, what's the result, how does that work? Uh, and then leading and organizing and getting the most out of people's talents, which is the 
organization, people growth, leadership, all those elements as well. So I had those five themes and that's really what I've been working on for um, coming up to uh, 30 years now, um, which is trying to fill in the gaps on those of which the project one is just part of it. But I think and that's why I keep saying context, understand the whole context before you take the, the medicine. Uh, and everyone's busy prescribing medicine, which is the medicine we've had before, which didn't work, or prescribing the wrong medicine for that particular disease, not understanding the context. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's, yeah. I, I'm just <laughs> You're not supposed to say that. My head will swell. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm blown for words, blown for words on that. <laughs> last, last few questions now. Um, what was the last project podcast you listened to, if you listen to podcasts? Oh. Did Penny Pullen do one? No. Um, there was one, um, J, uh, Jonathan Norman, Major Projects Association. He does podcasts and he, pro he proposed one on LinkedIn, which he said was worth listening to. And I listened to it and I can't remember what it was. How embarrassing. Uh, but it's one of the, it's something like that. It was something good. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about project blogs, blogging? Do you, do you read the project blogs or do you, is there any that you would so recommend I to people? Project magazine, which I go through and mm -hmm. read to see what people are interested in. Um, I also get, I also get the APM. I also go onto the APM site from time to time, probably about once every month mm -hmm. and to see what's there. Um, I tend not to delve too much into into blogs and things. I start them off. So I, what I'll do is I'll look at them. They look interesting. Then I map them against the the shoulders because loads of people have done great stuff in project management. Mm. Barnes, you know, I mean, it just goes. I've, I've, it's all been elements of leadership, of projects, of how to um, Steve Wake on his earned value stuff. You know, it's all been done. So I look at the stuff. And if I think they're not standing on the shoulder of a giant, in other words, it's not really original machine material, but they haven't started the blog by saying, um, in putting this together, um, one of the things that I know is really important because we must work harder on earned value because the UK is losing money. Work by Steve Wake showed X, Y, Z, or work by, I don't know, so-and-so showed such and such, and I'm building on it. If they don't say that, I, I usually don't get past like the second or third paragraph. Fair enough. Fair Sorry. enough. Yes. 40, but, no, uh, but it, it's, it, it is, there is a raft, as you said, and I think uh, we all know this now, is that um, 10, 15 years ago, picking out a podcast or picking out a blog in, a, in, a, in the profession we're at, there was a limited number in there. Yes. I think, I think the, uh, you've got idiots like me doing podcasts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's some fantastic stuff out there, and there's some yeah, not so fantastic stuff out there. Exactly. The, the thing is, I, I, I don't mind if they're standing on the shoulders of giants, if they're building on someone else's thing, but they've all got very good at wordsmithing. So they come up with nice words which are cooler than and describe what they were doing before. Mm. you yeah. know so uh is there any is there anything additive that is the key thing isn't it if they're no, added if I, they're as you say building and adding to it is is what we, and that's what we need we don't need the same old stuff confusing people because yeah. i the number of times i walk into situations people say well we're just doing agile with a big a and I go, what's the with the big A? Oh, we're doing it. And what they're basically saying is we're running, maybe they're running scrums. But mm. they've invented as Agile with a big A or a little A. Uh, and, and just making it so complex. And we need common languages, common tools, common, you know, building on the shoulders of giants. Then we can progress. 
without the noise. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Well, I think it's a, it's a decade where everyone needs to be famous for 15 minutes, so <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. So, off the back of that then, I've got two final questions. The first one is, talking out to my, my, my listenership, the, 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 the tiny select few, um, what top tip would you give to one of those seasoned, say it's, it's a seasoned project manager that's out there? Ooh. Top, top, top tip. Mm. Most, most biggest, biggest, toppest, toppest tip. Yeah. Number one, learn to listen. And the way you listen is twofold. You take notes and you repeat the last three words of whatever they say. So they keep talking. So you have to keep listening. And you're not allowed to do anything else. It's called rat holing. It's based on a an NLP method, which is based upon a hypnotic skills method and it works a treat and it forces them to find out what all the stakeholders want. That would be top, top tip. Second top most tip, check what project type you're dealing with. If you understand that, you can adjust everything else to match and everything will work for you. That's second top most tip. And then third top most tip, Everything you do, try to do the action replay and learn from it because that will keep you moving forward. So if you have those three tips, I think you're fine because you'll get inputs, which will help your brain to understand stuff better. You won't be doing pointless stuff in the wrong way. So your projects are more likely to succeed and where they don't succeed, you'll fill in the gaps and then next time you'll have a better chance. Brilliant. Better chance next time sounds good. Final question. Yes. What if you were talking to the young, fresh-faced Eddie O'Bang mm-hmm. on what you would think of as your first project? And he's just walking into wherever he is to be in that, that first project. And he's, whether he's got a folder under his arm, a briefcase in his hand, I don't know. What one thing would you say to your younger self? Uh, when when are, when is the project? Is it old world or is it new world? Is it after midnight? So is it one of these messy projects or is it, it a traditional one? It's it's your project. The first one you think of as being your first project. So if I if I did my first project, which was probably the one I did at Shell, which was doing the offshore gas treatment thing. Mm-hmm. So um, oh, that's easy. That's easy. So. With that project, when I inherited this uh, project at Shell, the one I got the patents from, what I didn't know, because I hadn't asked and I hadn't dug, was the project had been run by somebody else for about five years who had got nowhere. A chap called Lionel Barnes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I didn't know this. Um, and so what has happening in the background is much more senior than me was everything I was trying to do, whether it was get resources or on the project, there was a back channel which was trying to undo what I was doing. Stealing my researchers, putting them on priority projects which were not mine so I wouldn't have access to them, uh, my research assistant and things like that. All that was happening. So if I was talking to the young, and in fact, one of the the, the, uh, bit which was really interested was I was running a, a, a rig and one day I came back and the rig was, all the bugs were dead. 
And um, there's only one way to kill the bugs, which is to give them a little squirt of, ble- of bleach. Not that I'm blaming Lionel, but it was very suspicious. Um, so <laughs> I had pissed him off to the point where he was sabotaging my projects, allegedly. So I don't go to jail for um, uh, defaming him. Um, so what I would have said to the young Eddie is, if you don't know who the stakeholders are in your project and you haven't understood their measures of success, you've probably already failed. I did not know that the more I succeeded, the more he failed. And if I had understood that, I could have made him be a mentor. I could have gone to him two or three times for advice or something like that. And it would have all gone swimmingly at twice the speed. So yes, definitely stakeholders. Everything else on the project is static. You don't touch it. It doesn't do anything. Spreadsheets don't multiply themselves. Stakeholders go to bed agreeing with you, wake up in the morning fed up with you because they've had a dream and stab you in the back. They are active and they must be managed. They must be understood all the time. So if there was a piece of advice I was going to give myself, that would be it. Brilliant. Well, Eddie, that's all my questions. Thank Brilliant. you very much. I've ke- Cheers, you've, Nigel. You've, you've been so generous with your time. Um, yeah, if, I wasn't doing anything else. It's <laughs> down. I'm just sitting here. No, I'm lying. <laughs> I know you're a very busy man, so I really do appreciate it. If, um, if the audience want to get in touch with you, find out more about you, hear more from you, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? So the, the, the best way to actually uh, high-quality engagement would be if you get on to cube.cc, cube.cc, about once a month, I run an inspiration session where I hang about. So it'll be qbe.cc forward slash inspiration. And if you can get on Cube, I'm there. We can sit a chat at one of the tables. I'll hang around, answer any questions. The topics change every single time, but that would be the best place to get hold of me physically uh, in my schedule. Uh, other than that, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Eddie Obeng, so that's easy to follow. And also, I reply to questions if you ask me to factual and content questions. I always reply. And I'm also on LinkedIn um, also. So that's that's the, the third way. Um, I'm a pentacle, so you can always um, track me down there uh, with my, my email at pentacle. So it'd be, uh, and it's, it's on the web. Easy. Just Google Eddie Obeng and the website yeah. will come up and you can steal all the stuff from there. I'm not yeah. hard to find at all. No, I, know, I noticed that earlier when I was checking out for your bio. It's kind of, I, I think it's the first person I've, I've interviewed that Wikipedia comes up with you first. So that's kind of a testament yeah. to, to, uh, to oh, that's good. that. I'm good. I'm fa- famous and yeah, you, you get Wikipedia, then you get the Eddie Bang site. I think it is it's kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. Good. it's unusual. Yeah. And um, I, I usually respond. People are serious and they're trying to learn. I usually try to respond. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the game. Yeah, and I can testify to you, uh, you uh, coming back and trying to help and helping with me on this. It's great. Thank you very much. So um, the only only thing to say really is thank you again for coming on the show. I uh, really appreciate it. And um, uh, I'm sure that the uh, listeners are going to enjoy this. And uh, I'll uh, speak to you soon. Brilliant. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Eddie. I hope you enjoyed that. Thanks to Eddie for coming on the show and uh, check out the show notes if you want to find out more about Eddie. The final thing to say is the British Podcast Awards um, are um, up and running at the moment and I know a couple of people who voted for us on the 
listener's choice, which I'm uh, very grateful for. And uh, if you are inclined to do so, I would love you to do so. Uh, again, link in the uh, show notes, but it's British Podcast Awards slash vote, I think it is. Um, as ever, thank you for listening. If you feel that you want to support the show, other ways you can do it are include sharing it with your friends and, and colleagues on social media and the likes of LinkedIn and places like that or any however you like to share things. Email your whole email list if you want to. I'm not going to object. Um, pop and log, picking up one, one or more of my books. Um, I've uh, had a surprise today. I had something popped through that I had four sold through um, the US and I'm not sure how. And I've done no promotion on those. It was outside of the Amazon infrastructure. Um, so I'm not sure how that happened, but I was uh, very um, satisfying to see that happen. Um, pop along to Patreon. We've got a site there. And if you want to donate, that's great. Um, if you have a business or you know people who have a business that is relevant to uh, you and the, listener, the rest of the listenership, who feel that they would like to sponsor the show, um, as I said earlier, always open for that. And the most, the, the other thing you can do is pop along, and give me a, a review on either the podcasting or on the books or whatever. Um, all that, all that, everything helps with that. And finally, um, come back next week, or if I skip next week and it's a week after, depending on what how timing I've got other podcasts. Actually, I've got to skip next week thinking about that, so don't go back next week. Um, yeah, so we'll get the uh, uh, come back to the next one. Subscribe. Make sure you've got this downloaded every every week uh, that it is published. Uh, we may get onto a weekly schedule one day, um, but I, as I've always said, I, I don't want to uh, make this a, a job for me. I enjoy it, and I hope you enjoy it too. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Come back next time. Uh, in the meantime, look after yourself. Stay safe. Cheers now, bye. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser, and it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.